0: Here are your hosts, Chase
1: Parham. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCrady,
0: I deserve to be on TV.
1: Welcome into Henry's Guys, presented by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. On tonight's show, Chase Parham is joined by former Ole Miss walk-on football player John Williamson. Williamson is the bowling coach at Vanderbilt. He joins us after recently winning his third national title. Chase and John taught college bowling, the science of bowling, how it's unlike amateurs out on Friday nights at the lanes, and how Williamson went from Tim Corbin's baseball staff at Vanderbilt to one of the country's best bowling coaches. First, I want to tell you about Comer Heating and Air and Southern Air Conditioning and Heating, different names. <clears throat> same great products, same great people, same great services. If you live in Oxford, Batesville, Tupelo, or the surrounding area, Get in touch with Comer, 662-801-1777. If you live in Hernando, Memphis, Olive Branch, that area, get in touch with the people at Southern, 662-429-4429. It's early May. You know what's coming. The heat is coming. Make sure that AC is ready to roll and ready to uh, to operate in uh, the deep south summer that isn't that far away. This will be the Friday Oxford Exxon podcast, the Oxford Exxon located Highway 6 West in Oxford. You can try to win box tickets to the series finale on May 13th against Auburn. Simply tweet at Oxford Exxon. Use the hashtag #RebelReady. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford is in Amory, Mississippi. 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. They'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. There's no hassle. There's no haggle. You just get your quote. And uh, what you do with it is up to you. You can shop it around, of course, or you can do what I've done about five times now, what I recommend that you do. And that is hop into a Clark Ford. You will love the product. You'll love the service. Corey and the people at Clark Ford, they want to be your car guy. They want to be your truck guy. They'll prove to you what that means when you make the call. 662-257-1900. John Williamson, other guests, join on the MyPerfectFranchise.net hotline. Are you a displaced corporate executive? Are you wanting to put your career in your own hands? Are you an experienced entrepreneur wanting to diversify? If any of that applies to you, Andy Ludicky can help. He is a, a guy who owns multiple franchises and businesses. He uses his expertise to help others find their American dream through a very thorough and free consultation process. So call Andy, put your life and your career in your own hands. It's 100% free. You have nothing to lose. Find your Perfect franchise at myperfectfranchise.net or contact Andy at Andy at myperfectfranchise.net. You can also call him at 404-973-9901. Here is Chase Parham and John Williamson on the MyPerfectFranchise.net.
2: John Williamson now joining us on the My Perfect Franchise Hotline. John, appreciate the time today. I want to go into uh a little bit of bowling, a little bit of background. Old Miss Grad, you've been with uh, Vanderbilt bowling for, I guess, almost 20 years now at this, uh, at this point. I'll, I'll tell you, you hooked me the other night. Like, we've got a mutual friend. I knew you guys were playing in the, uh, in the national championship and I'm, I'm a horrifically bad bowler, bowler. You would laugh at me. It's, it's, it's pathetic on all, on all ways, but. I'll tell you, I turned on it and I I don't know that I would have said this. It's not at all a bad TV product. You can actually get into that a little bit as the games are going on. And it's a, it's pretty good.
3: Yeah. You know, I I think it's interesting because there's a lot of people that uh, at first glance or first thought would say, yeah, no, I'm not that interested in it, but there's a, there's an element of uh, anxiety that comes, comes with it uh, that you really can't, that you can't replicate. It's like, Having a free throw contest to win the basketball national championship, essentially what it is. It's it's
2: interesting, too, because while most people are really bad at it, most people have tried it. So they understand to some level. They know just enough with the sport to be dangerous and go, hey, I've bowled a strike. I've done this. There, There is an element where in a lot of sports we can't relate to that whatsoever. That doesn't necessarily exist with bowling.
3: No, you know, I mean, in some ways it's like a blessing and a curse because you'll, you'll get people to tell you that, oh, I, you know, I shot 200, so I'd beat like everybody on your team or whatever. And, and, you know, it, 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 in that regards, it's, it's kind of frustrating, but it's pretty, it's it allows people to get sort of hooked into it because they know enough that they can follow along where, you know, some of the other sports like lacrosse that have these complex rules that if you're not in the, if you're not in the lacrosse world, you don't have any idea like what the crease is and you know, what the, you know, you're like, you, I know they're trying to get the ball in the net, but I don't know that. And so with bowling, there's enough people that have bowled that know the, like sort of the, the, the idea of it, they get the idea of scoring, how it works. Strikes are better than spares, and you don't want to open. And so you don't, you know. So you you can have a casual fan get into it without actually like
2: uh, having to know sort of the 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 intricacies of it. Yeah. What got me was I haven't. I'm not familiar enough with it to understand. Just how far ahead or behind you were as it was going on yeah. with the the you know the strikes the double strikes in a row where I go okay I, I remember this from kind of back in the day but I can't quite tell you exactly where you're at the the announcers did a pretty good job though I'll say the the the, the, the TV product was enough to to keep you pretty zoned in there at that point yeah you know I mean the announcers do a great job it's a, it
3: is a uh, for all parents at home you watch bowling on TV it's a great way to hone your math skills. Uh, so you can get your kids to uh, learn to multiply and add by ten and twenty, uh, and that kinds of stuff. So you can uh, you can practice your uh, your basic arithmetic.
2: So you just won your third national title. You've been doing this for a uh, pretty good while. Tell me, I, and I know a little bit. I, I've done a little bit of background here, but you, how'd you get into this? I mean, what happened? How do you get to bowling? Because I would assume that was not where your uh, your plans were when you left Ole Miss. Is not I uh, I I had. I had, I guess, crashed and burned as a football
3: player uh, thinking that I was going to become, like, the next great, like, football coach. And then uh, I got into working at Vanderbilt in the athletic department because I was, I didn't really know how to get into being a football coach. But my dad worked in the athletic department at Vanderbilt, and there was a guy who worked in the fundraising office at Vanderbilt, and his name was Chris Weirich. He sort of felt pity on me, I guess, because he sort of saw this lost soul who just graduated, didn't know what, what to do. So he offered me an internship, and I took an internship with the National Commodore Club in August of two thousand and two, and I think in July, right around August, July, August of two thousand two, uh, Tim Corbin was hired as the baseball coach at Vanderbilt. I went to his press conference. He's a very charismatic guy he's 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 engaging he brings you in he makes you feel important and so I listened to this press conference and I was I I was just a recent college grad I was you know not married didn't have kids so I walk up to him and I just say hey coach I know that you're busy but if you ever need help let me know I'd be glad to help I didn't know what he was going to do I didn't know you know if he'd ever take me up on it that'd be the last time I ever talked to him and so then like a week later he's like I need you to. I need these letters mailed. And I was like, I can, you know, I was like, I can take them to the post office. He goes, No, no, no. I need, I, I need them uh, stuffed. So I was like, He's like, Do you think you can do that? And I was like, Sure. And so then he brings me like eight hundred letters that needed to go out to like every high school in Tennessee, every high school in like Alabama. I, I mean, I don't know who all it went to. So I spent an entire weekend just folding and stuffing these envelopes. And I, and I brought him back on Monday, and I said, here you go. And he was, like, I guess impressed that I did 800 letters or whatever. I mean, I had the paper cuts for days uh, doing that. And then he hired me as the, as, the, as his ops person in December of 2002. I worked with him for two years, uh, sort of learning the ins and outs of NCAA stuff, learning the ins and outs of recruiting. Uh, Vanderbilt baseball starts taking off. we go play the Super Regional in Texas in 2004 and get, and get beat. Uh, at that point, I'm trying to get out of uh, the grind of college baseball. College baseball is, a, is a, um, I mean, it, it is hard. I mean, you go from January to June nonstop, you know, no days off. It's just constant. And so I was like, burnout. out. I want to do something different. And in the spring of 2004, they have a announcement at Vanderbilt that they're starting a bowling team. I uh, did not know that because I was in the grind of baseball. Uh, and like all, I sort of new sports and Olympic sports, they didn't pay the coach very well. And so uh, I go out bowling uh, with some department people right before I'm getting ready to leave. I was looking at taking a job in fundraising at the University of New Mexico. And I was like, going to go out for an interview. I was pretty much, that's what I was going to do. I was going to be a fundraiser. So I go bowling and I'm a pretty good recreational bowler I'm not a very good bowler but most people would say wow you're pretty good and so they go back and tell the guy that's leading the search that I'm this really good bowler he comes and asks me finds me and he's like are you a really good bowler I hear you're a really good bowler and I was like I am and I didn't know what he's talking about and he's like well have you thought about being our bowling coach and I said no I've not and uh, he's like well you should think about it and he was he was hoping because they couldn't find a coach they couldn't they they couldn't they they'd interviewed all these people couldn't find one and he was hoping that he could like I guess end the search uh, it was the, by that point it was sort of the end of August uh, school started and they wanted to start the team so I thought that this would be the opportunity to be the head coach of a Division one program without having to sort of toiled through the ranks of being an assistant moving from place to place my family's from middle tennessee so i was like i, I get the best i get the best of all the worlds and the benefit was is i get to be anonymous i don't I, you know no one's gonna know who i am no one, like when you go and eat with you know if you were lane kiffin or you're mike bianco or you're tim corbin and you go to a restaurant you're gonna have all kinds of people come up and talk to you and it's and it is not something that you that if you're not used to or don't like it, it's a very unnerving thing to do, and so you have lots of people offering opinions and that kinds of stuff. And so, like for two years, I was we would go eat with Coach Corbin. He he's much he was he got out much more for lunch and stuff at that time because he was not as famous as he is now. And so and so that's unnerving. And so I was so I was like, I don't want to be this coach. I don't want to be this Olympic sport or this revenue coach. I want to you know I want to find something that's anonymous that I can do. And so I thought this is like the benefit. This is like the best of everything. So Coach Corbin helped me put together a packet. I uh, gave it to the to Brian Reese, who was the director of the search, and it was basically just how I thought that I would learn bowling faster than someone would learn NCAA and recruiting. It was a new sport from the NCAA in 2004, so they had one championship. Uh, they interviewed a few more people. They came and they asked me if I wanted. I didn't even really interview for it. That's I guess how desperate they were. Um, to start the team they they just they just asked me if i wanted it and i said sure
2: and so then um 20 years later here i am yeah i'm, g- I'm gonna back up for a second because i'm i'm a college baseball nut i'm just kind of curious vanderbilt at that point they hired corbin obviously the program had been struggling what was that like just being a part of the build at that point because i mean vanderbilt's been the best program in the country over the last decade and everything that he has is- because, I mean, you know, Vanderbilt gets, and I mean this in a positive way, Vanderbilt gets criticized sometimes for all the extra potential help and some of those things, but Tim put that together. I mean, he was able to kind of sell that vision. What was what was Corbin in that program like in 2002? Well, in
3: 2002, it was a shell of what it is now. You know, I mean, we we had very little in terms of, like, uh, corporate sponsorship. You know, D, I, 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 we switched to DeMarini really quickly. Uh, and and they gave us bats, and I remember the I remember the guys thought it was so cool that there was like an like a, a etched Vanderbilt on like the shaft of the bat, and I was like, and they're like, this is awesome, you know. We we you know we had we had to like we had to like monitor like batting gloves, you know. Like we could we couldn't just give out pairs of bat. I'm sure now they you know. They could have one for every bat if they want. But, like, back then we were like, are you sure you needed new batting gloves? You know, like, we just had to – I mean, everything was everything was just a um, um, minuscule of where it was now. But you could see, you know, they had the – the, the thing that Vanderbilt had always been able to do prior to Tim is they were always able to get, like, a couple really good players. And so they would always have a, a first-round pick, uh, you know, a, a top-five-round pick. But they didn't have, like, the supporting cast. And so the thing that Tim was able to do is he's, he was able to, he kept Jeremy Sowers, um, who was a first round pick of 2004. And, um, he was able to build some, some depth around him and, you know, they use the the financial aid system and, you know, I mean, everyone talks about it being an advantage and things like that. But at the end of it, these kids are still paying a decent amount of money to come to school and, uh, and they also have to get into school. So, like, academic scholarships don't ex- really exist here. Um, you have to be crazy smart in 20 years. I've never had one for for a bowler has never gotten an academic scholarship. They're, like – I mean, I, I say they're, like, Sasquatches or leprechauns because I hear they exist, but I've never seen them, you know. And so uh, – but watching Tim, like, the kids get the belief that, like, that they're special. And Tim is a relentless worker, and he is – and he – Demands out of you, what you know, like what he puts in it, and so everybody sort of raised their level to what he was doing, and so like I had this like front row master class and building a program. I mean, Tim didn't start it from zero, but it wasn't it, it wasn't very successful, and so you know I watched him as he recruited David Price. You know, I watched you know how how he went about doing that, how he went about convincing this guy to come to Vanderbilt, you know, to come to Vanderbilt. And so, you know, you you saw this for two years. And then, you know, we uh, were Scott hit a a home run to sweep Tennessee in 2003. And that put Vanderbilt in the uh, college or in the SEC tournament for the first time in like 10 years. And so that sort of started a little bit of momentum. And then 2004 come and we're and we were pretty good. Uh, Beat Virginia at in a regional at at UVA. And then we go to Texas and just get the doors blown off us. Uh, by the Texas eventual national champion. But, you know, you you, for two years, you just saw this guy do the like do it. And like, you know, when I played football, the coaches are so far removed in some ways from the players, like you don't have that sort of daily interactions and things like that. So I didn't that was the first time I've ever got to really see it. And so, you know, when when they gave me the job and they offered it, like I really and truly felt like I could build this because I watched it I watched it from its. I didn't know where I was going to go with with Tim and that kind of stuff he had been uh, at, he had been you know I guess wooed by lots of other like powerhouse schools I had no idea if he would just leave or whatever but he stayed and I just, but I watched that that happen, and I just knew that like I knew it could be done you know you just have to do it the right way
2: do you, uh do you needle him a little after you got your first title before he did there seven or so you kind of kind of <laughs> poke him a little no no I I, I mean I, I know better than that I uh um
3: I, I have the utmost respect for him because I know what he how he works and what what he what he invests into that team and so you know for you know it was I mean it was fun it's funny because you look back and you're like I, I I'm gonna be a like a barroom trivia question and like 50 years or something, or maybe I am now. But, you know, like I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. So, like, I, like, he's, he's almost like a second father to me.
2: You, you said obviously you're a pretty good recreational bowler. How'd you get into it? I mean, have you bowled all your life? I mean, how, how, you know, it's common, but it's not the most common thing in the world. How did it happen? So, when I, when I was playing football in college,
3: uh, I had some friends that I guess were uh, probably not the, at that time they they turned into be like fine upstanding citizens, but at that time, they um, didn't necessarily have to have jobs and that kind of stuff and there's a bowling alley in Nashville that uh had five dollars all you can bowl on wednesdays and so being sort of broke college kids, I would go work out at my high, at my high school and I would meet them there, and we would bowl from like nine a m until five p m and sort of wholesome competition or years four or five guys that we would just basically spend one day a week just trying to just trying to win and so just natural i mean we didn't have lessons we didn't we we just sort of taught ourselves and we just sort of felt like that was uh the best way that we could spend our time without really getting into trouble and uh and so my dad will always hound me say you need to do something that's going to help you find a job you need to you know, you, 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 need to be productive. This is, you're just wasting time. And, you know, he sort of ate his words, but, uh, you know, it took a little while to figure out the path that it would take me. But, um, you know, that, that those, those like eight hours we would spend on Wednesdays at Melrose were some of the, like the, the funnest times I had.
2: Take a break in the podcast. Tell you about prime shrimp, prime Seven different flavors available. to be shipped right to your door Fewer than 10 minutes freezer to plate with prime shrimp. We'll let them take care of dinner tonight. Everything from the New Orleans style barbecue to the signature. It's two great uh, flavors that are very versatile. I use them on a ton of things, including lunch. Cut them up, throw them on a salad. They even make a great snack by themselves. Because again, fewer than 10 minutes. You get dinner, you get lunch, you get a snack with prime shrimp. They're also available in all Rouse's markets throughout Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama. If there's a Rouse's, you can get prime shrimp. The lemon crack pepper flavor is great. Or you make full meals in a bag. The French Quarter Alfredo, the garlic, herb butter, so many options there with prime shrimp. That's primeshrimp.com. Use hash use uh sorry code RG. Code RG by five pouches or more, 25% off. 25% off. With PrimeShrimp.com and code RG. Podcast also brought to you by G&M Pharmacy. 662-236-2222. They deliver locally in the Oxford area and they offer MedSync. To feed your prescriptions the same day each month and take care of you. One trip to the pharmacy, one delivery. You have everything you need when you need it with G&M. You can also transfer your medications easily. To do that, you give them a call. One call, they take care of the rest. So whether that's Holly Springs and Tyson Drugs or G&M in Oxford that's 662-236-2222, podcast brought to you by the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation. If you're ready for the Grove, join them at Vault Hemingway Stadium this fall for the 2023 football season. Order tickets now to participate in the seat selection process. To explore seating options, visit OleMissTix.com or call them at 662-915-7159 to help lock the vault today. 662-915-7159. Five nine. Podcast brought to you by Northeast Spark, N-E-S-P-A-R-C. Two packages, the Ignite, the 100 Mbps, or the Blaze, the one gig that powers the Clark Ford Studio. Your hometown team bringing you world-class broadband. That's NESpark.com. 662 662-238-3159. Phone service, portal controls, network security, a wireless mesh extender, and much more. So call the office for details and get the best internet in Lafayette County. Again, that is 662-238-3159 nine Kemp Alderman will be making a public appearance at style assembly on the square in Oxford on mother's day. That's May 14th from one to 3 p.m. Stop by to hang out with Kemp, get autographs, take pictures, ask questions in a personal one-on-one setting. It's all free. And there'll also be a limited number of posters available on site for him to sign. If you don't want to bring your own merchandise, speaking of mother's day, it's just around the corner Let the ladies at style assembly, help you find mom, the perfect gift, whether it's clothing, jewelry, shoes, purses, sunglasses, or a gift card. They simplify the process with wish list. Just have mom fill out a list at the store or over the phone. And Kate, the owner, and her team will keep it on file. So all you have to do is call, stop by, choose something off the list, eat the exact thing down to the color and size that mom wants. They'll even gift wrap it for free. It's perfect for Mother's Day, graduation, birthdays, anniversaries, and other, any other special occasion. They also ship straight to your door. So stop by the store on North Lamar next to the Pig or call them at 662-638-3163. You can also DM at ShopStyleAssembly on social media to place an order. And then last but definitely not least, spring is here, and it's time to refresh your outdoor spaces. Heavenly Sunshine Property Services is your go-to for professional power washing. From your home's exterior and sidewalks to your deck and patio, the team has experienced equipment to get the job done right. With the advanced power washing techniques and attention to detail, they can remove dirt, grime, and mildew to reveal a fresh and clean surface. Heavenly Sunshine Property Services has been serving the Mid-South for over four decades. Their full-service commercial and residential property maintenance includes power washing, soft wash roof applications, facade cleaning, and window cleaning. So contact Heavenly Sunshine Property today and get a brighter, cleaner outdoor living space. Visit the website at HeavenlySunshine.com or give Sandy a call at 662-342-1203, 662-342-1203. To book your free estimate today, use code MPW10 for a 10% discount. How'd your dad react when he found out you are going to be the bowling coach? At first he didn't believe it because uh, he thought that that was the, that was they were
3: either dumb for hiring me or I was dumb for taking it. I'm not sure which one. Uh, but, you know, he'd been in the athletic department for like 15 years at that point. And so he was just sort of like, well, if you're going to do it, like, you know, like you, you, need to do it, and so, you know, he's been uh, nothing but supportive since. But at the very beginning, he was like, "I don't think this is a good idea."
2: It's it's very common for a first year program, an early program, a struggle. I think I've read you guys went twelve and sixty nine or something in your first season. How do you recruit? How do you build a roster? What does recruiting look like in bowling? You know, I, the the first team we ever had was students on campus.
3: So I put an ad. I got hired after school started. Uh, and we need, and we needed to start in the fall. So I put an ad in the newspaper and we had 10, we had 10 young ladies show up and that was our first team. We didn't have a tryout. We didn't have anything. We were just, I, I thought we were going to have all kinds of people show up and we had 10. So that was our team. And so, uh, when we were recruiting that first year, you know, I got, I got lucky because the very first, the day I got hired, I got an email from a guy who was like, you should check out this girl in New Jersey. Uh, and her name was Karen Greigel who ended up being our first uh, commitment, our first coach. She's the head coach at Monmouth right now, but she was like a New Jersey state champion. And she, you know, she was a really academic oriented person. They're like, you should look at her. And luckily for us, bowling, I mean, it's still to this day, but it's not as fast recruiting as other sports. So, you know, if if we were today and you're in volleyball, like Vanderbilt announced it's starting volleyball, but we're not starting until 2025 because Mm -hmm. the recruits are so far out in that sport. And so for us we're still sort of year of. so like we're you know we're, now we're recruiting 2024s. And so uh there's a bunch of kids that were were that weren't uh committed affiliated with the institution at that time in September. So I just started, I just got on the internet and we started contacting people and we started just just basically telling them don't worry about what's happening now. Like like these are general students, they you know like I appreciate what they're doing, but like, they're not bowlers. They wouldn't even, they wouldn't classify themselves as bowlers. And so, you know, so that was basically our message. And I signed five kids the first year and I'd never seen one of them throw a ball in person. So, oh,
2: wow,
3: yeah. So, I mean, we, we watched, we saw video, we, I talked to people, but like with the speed at which it was happening and doing our own, like our own season. And then, um, you know, and then, being by myself, I didn't have an assistant at that time. Like, there's really no way for me to, like, go recruit and also do things that, you know, it just didn't work. So, I, I, you know, looking back on it, I'm kind of like, that was pretty naive of me to think that, like, <laughs> these five kids are going to work out. Uh, but, you know, they, they sort of laid the the groundwork. They, they listened to sort of the idea and the message of what Vanderbilt could do, and uh, they they bought into it without it without uh, any kind of like proof
2: there's obviously a very competitive level prior to college i mean you mentioned when you and i were talking before we started the show about u.s junior nationals or whatever's going on what is I mean, what is the profile of a of a bowling recruit Have they played nationally competitive for a while i mean how many are just you know do you ever come across some that are just really really good recreational i mean like what is the profile of the pattern here so the so the 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 way it's becoming
3: now is that uh, there's a, there, it's like an AAU kind of circuit. There's a Storm Youth Challenge. There's a bunch of national events that sort of that these kids go and they it's like once a month they they'll, they'll, they sort of crisscross the United States going to and so some of these kids right that are coming out right now are extre- like extremely talented from a from a just a, a tournament base. They they traveled the country. They understand that. Uh, center to center is different. They understand that like region of the country, like those sort of environment issues can, can sort of change like how things play and that kinds of stuff. And so, um, you know, so they're, they're so far more advanced now than they were 20 years ago. And that's just because of the, exp- the, like bowling is like, is sort of light years catching up to some of these other sports in terms of uh, out like outside tournaments. And so most of the kids have, Probably played from, I mean, they come in as they're 17, 18 years old. Uh, most of them have been bowling for anywhere from 14 to, you know, some of them started bowling when they're three. So, like, you know, so they've been 14, 15 years of bowling. Uh, you know, their parents have done it typically, or grandparents have got them into it. Some people get into it by a birthday party, uh, you know, when they're younger and then they just sort of start doing leagues and then that sort of takes off from there. But, you know, these kids are, uh, you know, I guess like all sports, you know, you sort of think that like only the footballs and the basketballs and the baseballs have these like sort of national things. But, I, you know, you get into it uh, and, and there's a it's not as large a, in terms of numbers, but they're just as
2: serious as some of these other sports. Are you? Is it mostly? I mean, obviously, you're seeing scores. You mentioned video. I mean, is it just how good they are from a competitive level? or Are you noticing things fundamentally that can improve them? I mean, how, how do you sort of evaluate a prospect? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's
3: it's all of those things. It's you're looking at them like there's some kids that are fundamentally just better, and they have they have they have skill sets. So it's if you're looking at like a baseball pitcher, they have spin rates on their on their balls that right. like even those things that you you can't like you can't teach it. Like they just have it. And so there's some kids that, that just, that can get revolutions on a bowling ball that, that, that you can't do, that you can't teach. And so those kids are obviously like, like checks. And then you like, then you watch body language and you watch how they interact with people. So their coach, their dad, their mom, whoever's working with them, you know, I, I, I personally like to see people when they struggle. So you, you can see how they're going to re- react if, if it's not going well. Um, you know and and so you take all this stuff in and then and then you try to get them on, on campus and sort of see how they fit and for us it's all it's really all about fit more than it's about anything else like will they fit into what we're trying to do will they fit into like like you know sort of like are they more interested in themselves are they more are they are they more interested in Vanderbilt like you know that kind of stuff and so uh You know, so we, you know, we have a pretty good success rate when it comes to recruiting. We're not 100% uh, in terms of like we can offer kids and they'll say, no, Uh, it's not the easiest place to come to school, but you know, there, there's a, there's a segment of the population that likes it. There's a segment of the population that wants, um, you know, what, like sort of what we're offering. And now that we're, you know, now that we've had three national championships, you know, it's, it's one of those things that people can see that they can win national titles they can they can go to school and and you know for the most part you're not going to become a professional i mean you can bowl professionally but it's very hard to have that be your sole income and so you know we try to offer the idea that they can become a nurse a teacher or whatever and they can they can, the women's tours in the summer so uh, if they have a, if they pick the right job they can you know they can hit the 14 stops in the summer
2: Won a national title pretty quickly inside three years or so. Once you uh, when, once you got started, was it the recruiting class? Was it once the record improved? Where did when did you realize, hey, there is a real viability here that this is you know something that's going to work? Well, it's interesting because she's my
3: associate head coach now, but Josie Josie Earnest at the time, Josie Barnes now, uh, she was the, like the best player in the country, uh, and she was. Sixteen years old, she was competing at the U.S. Amateur Championships. I think she finished set, like sixth or seventh as a high school junior. And so I just sent her a letter. I was like, "Why not?" You know, that was the, that was the first year we had a uh, first year we had a like we had a team. So she was looking at the twelve and sixty nine. She was looking at her our, our team averaging like one seventy five. Uh, and and I kept just hounding with her that like things will be different. You know, and then we get our first, rec- we get our first uh, five recruits in camp uh, on, on campus and we go to the NCAA tournament in our, in their first, in their freshman year. And so then she's starting to see that like that's good, that things will be different. And so then she decided to come. So she passed on, a, on all the sort of like the bowling schools that, that people would have traditionally thought that she would go to. And so she came. And so once I realized that, that we could compete with, the Nebraska's, the Wichita states, the the schools that have traditionally had power sort of bowling programs since the 1970s, that we could do that. Then I knew that like that sort of anything was possible. Then it was sort of like up to us to build a culture um, that could allow for success. But uh, but I knew that we could get the kids, and and you know so so basically Josie committing as uh, around Halloween 2005. I knew that, like, uh, that was uh, that was the
0: that was when. So it was basically it took basically a year. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
2: What what is your role during matches? I mean, what all are you trying to look at and do? I mean, obviously you've sort of set an order before this, but like what what is sort of your in match situation and at what point, I mean, in in some ways you're almost kind of playing psychologists as much as anything else, Correct. I would assume. Correct. You know, so
3: you know, so Josie is would I would like from a sports standpoint, I would say that Josie is more of like the offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. You know, she's talking X's and O's, she's dealing that. Like I'm I'm talking with Josie more about, like, well, what do we, you know, what, is this what we need to do? Trying to, like, brainstorm things with her. Uh, when it comes to the girls, like, we sort of, we sort of have different ones that sort of, I'll say, react to us differently. And so there's certain ones that she, that she sort of talks to, there's certain ones that I talk to. Um, generally, if it, if someone needs to, like, get out of their own way, like, I'm the one that generally has that conversation with them. But you're 100% right. I'm, I am, I am i I joke with people that at, at Ole Miss, I, I took 15 hours of psychology. So I'm almost got a minor, but like, uh, I mean, that was that that 15 hours was the most viable thing I've like classes I took because that's essentially all I do is, is like my, my soul. F- I mean, you 18 to 22 year old girls, there's all women. There's a lot of things that can be going on. And so my job is to try to, Sort of corral their mind to be present where they are.
2: You were down three two in the national final to, to Arkansas State at that point. I mean, you it, You know, are you are you trying to focus on? Hey, what is the message right here? Are you letting them play as a team or a unit? Or are you just talking to them individually? What is? How does that play out at that moment when you're one game away from losing? Well, so we were we were actually down 3-1. Oh, so three we were one, and so yeah yeah okay yeah.
3: yeah. So we were down three one. I I basically had the. I mean, because at that point it really doesn't matter. And so you're trying to, you're trying to instill some form of confidence into your group, and and you know ideally that's not the place that you want to be is one game away from. I mean, as Milwaukee Bucks, you don't want to be one game away from elimination. But uh, I, I we had a huddle going into the start of, of game five, and I was like, we have them right where we want them. And they and they like all looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I was like, they're going to try to defend something that they haven't won. So you're going to, like, if you come out and you're aggressive, you make quality shots, we'll win game five. And they'll start backpedaling. And in sports, once you start backpedaling, once you start playing defense, once you start trying to protect something, you're, 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 you're done. I mean, you look at prevent defenses in football, like the number of times that people go the length of the field because, you know, defensive backs are 20 yards off the field. Once you start in that mindset, Over. And so you know, we won Game Five. Uh, We got—I'll say—lucky in Game Six, but I knew that. I knew that like they that that they had this idea that they were up three-one. They were gonna. I mean, because it happened to us throughout the year. Like we we would be up on people, and then we'd start trying to protect something. And it's it's just impossible. It's very it's impossible. It's impossible once someone starts thinking that they've already accomplished something, once they've already achieved something, to get them to like fight for it. They're trying to protect it. And like our girls were trying to fight for it and they were they had nothing else to do but fight. And so, you know, we could have easily not have not have come through or whatever. But at the same time, like that was sort of what we've been practicing for all year was to fight for three games to win a national title. And, and our kids sort of believed in, I guess they believed in the message or the idea and they believed in each other. And
2: that's really all you can do, ask for. What are the practice look like i mean do you set up certain spares or scenarios do they work on certain things i mean what does that what does that entail so so our practices are done by on like days and themes and so
3: tuesdays is like so mondays are as a required day off by the ncaa uh tuesdays is a spare day so basically they shoot they shoot all kind well, we can set all kinds of combinations of spares they do that for basically the whole practice on wednesdays we tend to uh We'll say work on first shots, strike shots. so we work on launch angles. we work on work on breakpoint control, we work on uh, like speed speed control, those kinds of things. Thursday is sort of a hybrid of the two um depending on what we're doing better or worse at at, the, at any given point in the year. On Fridays,, uh, you know college students like to check out. So if we're if we're if we are at home practicing and not at a tournament, we do a things called we do a we do a competition called a list. So it, uh, we have a segment of our group that we found that that is very task oriented. So they want to they want to finish a task and start the next one. And then we have a segment of our team that is very competitive. And so what we found is that you can't just play games against each other like pickup and basketball or whatever because half the group wants to win and 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 that's like all they want, and the other half doesn't really care. And so what we decide, what we figured out is if we do these lists. It accomplishes both tasks. So we put like like these three girls against these three girls, and they have to complete it, like nine tasks. So you have the group that wants to win, just because they want to win, and then you have the group that wants to check all the boxes. And so Friday is for us is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a is a is a is a is a competition day, but it's not like a like was we'll like a true competition. Um, and 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 then and then for the most part, I want them to be college students. I had. An amazing experience at, at Ole Miss. You know, like um, when Tuberville left and I, I, I and and, and uh, Coach Cutcliffe came in, I decided I was I was not cut out for football. Uh, so, so I, you know, so the last like couple years, I was just a regular student, and I enjoyed you know going on road trips to you know to LSU for a football game. I enjoyed the Grove for football games. I enjoyed like being a student. And so part of the thing that and like I also realized that once you graduate like it doesn't get funner. Like life doesn't get more fun than when you were in college. And so if I if we 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 have recruits on weekends, we have tournaments on weekends. And so the weekends that we don't have any of that, I want them to be a college student. I want them to go to a football game. I want them to to go like if Vanderbilt plays at Ole Miss, I would love for them to go, you know, on a road trip down because I mean, you only you only get one chance to being eighteen to twenty two, and you know, and uh, you might as well live it up.
2: You did two years of uh, of walk on a football. I mean, there is a amount of perseverance on just. I think I saw your quote one time. You said you practiced football more than you played football. That's that, that that's that's about as astute as you can get for a walk on. Because yeah, you're kind of giving your body to a cause as much of anything at well, that point. Well, and and so my
3: first like so my first year of school, I went to Tennessee Tech. I was a I I felt like I was a really good football player out of high school, and I'm not the largest individual, and so I didn't get a lot of like big time looks. So I went to Tennessee Tech. Uh, I thought I had a really good summer camp going into my freshman year, and they redshirted me. And once they redshirted me, I was pretty much like I'm done with this place. Like I you know I I should be better than this. Ole Miss was in the sort of the teeth of the probation in the '90s, and so I was talking with Coach Knox and some of these, some of the, and, and some of the other people, um, and they were convincing me that they needed, they needed me, and I was like, "This is awesome! It's a Division One school. It's it's SEC football, and they need me." But I mean, not that they weren't honest with me, but they needed me to practice. Like, yeah. you know, you had John Avery, you had Deuce McAllister, you had all, I mean, you you had a lot, you know, you had a lot of really good talent, like, around, like, you didn't, they didn't need me. And so, you know, it's a very humbling, exp- like, experience, especially because that first year I went, I was ineligible. And so, like, when you're ineligible, like, they don't look, really, I mean, I'm not gonna say they don't care if you get hurt, but they don't really care what they ask you to do, because, like, you, you can't play anyway. And so like we would do tackling drill or we would do I was do offensive drills with the linebackers and we weren't allowed to lower our shoulder like when we would get make contact because that could hurt them. Yes. You know, <laughs> so we would just I mean it was, we would just get absolutely just just bulldozed by people and you know and i loved every minute of it. And you know, and then I had a pretty good Grove Bowl, first Grove Bowl, had a lot of catches in that. So um I was Pretty stoked going into the fall of '98. The fall of '98 didn't go like I thought it was going to. And then, coach, I talked with Coach Knox about becoming a student assistant because I knew that that was sort of where I was gonna I was gonna be a coach. I wasn't going to the NFL. And then they left for Auburn, and so then I was sort of left with this idea of like I don't know anybody in the new coaching staff, and I'm 21. You know, I was at like a three quarter inch plywood piece of wood I slept on because my back hurt. And so I, you know, I, I just was just like, I'm, I, you know, this is a good time. This is like a good, like clean break. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, practicing, I mean, the guys on the team are awesome. I mean, that was the thing that, that was the thing I missed the most. And that's sort of the reason why, <clears throat> excuse me, I, 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 I like, being on like the bowling coach is that there's a camaraderie with a team that you don't get in real life. Like you, you don't, you, not everybody's going the same direction. Not everybody has the same goals. Not everybody has the same desires. And when you're on a team, I remember, go, you know, we went to the music, uh, the the motor city bowl and played Marshall or whatever. And like, that was, uh, you know, but everybody going up to that point had a, had a sure This is, like let's go bowling. And like that was the goal of the team. And 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 to be part of something that like that, like you you just can't buy. And so, you know, that was the when I when I got out and I'd worked in fundraising for a few months and I got with Coach Corbin <clears throat> and I worked with him for two years. That's what the Vanderbilt baseball team was. It was a group of guys that was going for a single goal. And so like it I hated the idea of of leaving that. But it just wasn't the lifestyle for me. And so then bowling, bowling came out. And then once I got into it, I realized this is like, I mean, this is like ideal. You know, I don't really have to recruit like, like these mammoth recruiting windows that I'm gone for all this time. I, You know, for the, for the most part, if school's not in session, my workload is very light. And so it's, it doesn't really get any better. And so it's just it just it, it just sort of all worked out.
2: And, and and your kids, I mean, obviously they're competing as individuals, but is a as a team as well. I mean, it kind of gives you know, there's a little bit of everything in that where, you know, they're all somewhat doing the same thing, they don't necessarily have positions, but it's also a team sport at the same time. You I I'm gonna ask you to to, to geek out for a minute because it confused me. I was doing a little bowling research here and I was reading, I guess maybe a story on you and the oil and the friction and actually this changing, this is something that as far as like what the actual lane is like. I don't know that I had any idea that that made a ton of differences in there was actual patterns to this thing. Can you right. break that down to me as a as a layman? Yeah. Yeah. So originally, like the lane oil that they put on the lane
3: was used as a protectant. Sure. And so um, you think about like the friction that would be caused over and over again from wood lanes, you would burn like you'd burn a hole in it. Um, over time and so they put this this thin layer of oil over the top of the lane and then at some point i'm not even sure when they realized that like the shape of the oil will affect how you play or where you play and so when they did that um you know then it started getting a game of moving left and right and things like that and so when you Think about a ball going down the lane. Um, think about like your tire going through like the rain on the road. As it goes, as your tire turns down the lane or down the road, it's picking water up and it's dropping it. It's picking water up and dropping it, and it's the same thing that a bowling ball is doing to the oil. And so, it as the ball goes down the lane, it manipulates the oil pattern. And so, and so and as the the more the more ball goes down we'll say the drier it gets there because the oil's gone away and mm-hmm. so when a ball like when you watch a tv the tv show and the ball hooks so when the ball's sliding going straight it's in the oil and just like when you're when you're in ice or, or snow or whatever and your tires are spinning because it's it it has no friction because it's on ice as soon as it hits a dry spot that's when it's going to jump, and so when you're watching the bowling ball go down the lane, it's sliding through the oil, and then once it hits a dry spot where the oil is not, that's when it checks up and goes towards the pocket. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to you're you're trying to play the the pattern left and right. It gives you the most amount of room to miss down lane, because unlike <clears throat> unlike unlike throwing strikes, like, where you, you can just wear the outside corner out. Like, bowling isn't a sport where you're that accurate. Like, you're trying to get accurate within, like, this this much. Like, when and, like, it's a baseball pitcher, you're, like, you know, you're trying to just thread needles. And so, bowling, we're trying to figure out what's the best part or what's the best place to get the most miss. And so, so that's, that's, what, that's why people change bowling balls if you're watching it on TV. They go from this ball to that ball. I mean, think of that as like a nine iron or an eight iron or a, or a seven or whatever. So that it, it changes the, the length at which that ball goes down lane. And then they'll move left and right to try to find oil so it can get down lane.
2: Is there a benefit then to having left-handers as well as right-handers because it wouldn't be as manipulated on that side <laughs> because it's hooking outside the end? Correct. Like left-handers are like left-handers are
3: unique in that almost in every sport. They're like, if you have one, it's an advantage. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and so we had a lefty this, this year in our tournament, we had a, le- we had two lefties in 2018, but it like, it's a blessing and a curse in bowling to be left-handed because if you have like a very good look to the pocket, like it, it will always be there. But if you don't, there's not enough people to change it. Oh, okay. And, and so, like you either it's like you either have the world or you don't. And so, and you know, and so for us, like you know, you know, we always try to have a lefty or two. For instance, for you know, for the national title, in case the left side's right there and and they're able to take advantage of it
2: do you set how how do lineups work i mean do you set them completely ahead of time by game by match can you manipulate it inside games what does it look like once the match starts you're set
3: with your like the order of your five like i can take you out and and put someone else in but then you can't go back in sort of like soccer you're you're okay um but you know for us like we set a lineup we try to we try to work on like the psychology of it like there's for whatever reason, certain people do better following certain people or certain 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 people don't like to follow like other people and that kind of stuff. And so through the course of the year, we we experiment with orders and rotations and we try to figure out how you get um, how you can maximize it. And so, you know, um, but it's done on a for us, it's basically done on a day to day basis, um, sometimes an hour to hour, depending on 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 like what kind of a tournament we're in but um you know the the from a mental standpoint the 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 young ladies can can have it for a length of time and then it can just go away, mm-hmm. and so then we'll you know we'll set people in and out that way but uh but yeah once you're set once you're once you're the
2: one hole for for the mat for the game, you're the one hole. So the one that's like golf cis now or back in the day, rebel lanes or whatever, what's the old pattern on just a recreational thing. And not, I mean, is it going to be pretty light on old period? Cause it's not maintained in the same condition. Yeah. It's, it's
3: going to be, it's going to be a little lighter uh, uh, period. But so like, think of it like golf. If you're golf is, excuse me, no, if you're, if you're looking at, um, if you're looking at golf, like how, like uh, golf courses are set up to score like regul like regulate, like the greens, the, the, the holes are in, are in nice locations. You know, they're not trying to, they're not trying to make it the U S open on you because they want you to come back. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing at, 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 um, at, we'll say entertainment centers and bowling centers. If you're going in the the oil pattern that they have is designed for you to score. So everything sort of feeds into the pocket. And so your score can increase, And so you have more fun and you want to, I mean, you don't, nobody wants to, you know, go and consistently shoot like 75, you know, they want someone to pop off a
2: 180 or 175 or 200. So they come back. So it would be harder for the recreational bowler on the places you guys play. The oil patterns are not, yeah. So the oil patterns are not designed to score.
3: So what would end up happening is is that as a recreational player you wouldn't strike as much which would then force you to to spare and right. then most people aren't i mean it's like chipping in golf like if you don't practice it, you're not going to be good at it so if you're not if you're not practicing spares you're going to a lot of opens and you'll probably shoot in the 100s to 120s
2: okay and then i mean i guess though it would be what your you're, you're that's the benefit to those events you talk about recruiting where you go and watch all the best players you know that there are own lanes that are correct for what you're doing. I mean, it, it, it takes a lot of guesswork out versus just going down and watching the the prodigy in nowhere, Iowa play play on some.
3: Yeah. So, so, so the lanes that we're the the oil patterns we bowl in are called are are sport compliant. So they're sport okay. compliant, and they're just right, re- and then there's just regular. And so, um, yeah. So when when the tournaments we go to are sport compliant, uh, like like when we're talking about moving left and right and things like that with your feet, like. The moves are a little different but on a house on a house shot than they are necessarily on a, on a sport pattern so like um you know so the more experience you have with the sport patterns the more familiar you are with moves and things like that which would allow for more success in college if you haven't bought a lot of sports sport patterns you, you can still have success in college but it's going to be a little harder because your learning curve is going to be a little little steeper.
2: Where's the sport nationally compared to to when you started? I mean, more programs, more competitiveness. I mean, what have you sort of seen that transition? Uh, Vanderbilt was the 42nd school that sponsored uh, women's bowling. So it
3: it takes 40 to have an NCAA championship. They had an NCAA championship in April. So we were like the uh, 42nd. So there's another school that added basically in 2004. Um, And now there's, I believe, over 100. Uh, It's very popular – uh, Nebraska is the only other Power 5 school that has it. It's very popular with, uh, uh, we'll say, like Conference USA, Sunbelt. In uh, some, and, and, and some ways, it's like the smaller football program schools uh, mm-hmm. because from a Title IX standpoint, we don't spend a ton of money. And so those schools are adding, like, the bigger roster of sports, they're adding lacrosse, equestrian, uh, crew, those type things that, that from a Title IX standpoint, they can spend a lot of money on big rosters bigger like like coaching staffs that kinds of stuff to sort of, to sort of help balance it out we don't i mean i mean like if vanderbilt like when vanderbilt i think our operating budget was like 30 million dollars or something in 2004 and so like if they were if they were adding a sport now like bowling wouldn't fit what they needed to do
2: mm-hmm.
3: because that makes sense and like, like part of the reason that they ended up going with bowling is because they, they just wanted to add a sport for uh, Sears. like t- I guess it was the Sears Cup at that time, the Capital One Cup now. But they, uh, they looked at uh, gymnastics. They looked at volleyball. They looked at softball. But because of our location, all of those would require facilities. And we don't really have the room... You know, we just built Hawkins Field. We didn't really have the room to build a softball stadium that's equivalent on campus to Hawkins Field. We didn't, you know, we didn't have a space for to build another gym for for volleyball or gymnastics. And so, so from a standpoint, it was like, well, we can add a sport, and like in some ways, you can not spend a ton of money and have and have bowling, and you can potentially have success pretty quickly because you you don't have as many teams to compete against. So, um, that's sort of, that's sort of how it, uh, I, from my understanding, how it got picked up. Where do you guys practice? In 2014, they built, uh, an addition onto the student rec center. So they built an indoor football facility and then they, they built, uh, f- uh, four lanes on campus. So we now practice oh, on good. campus. Oh, that's
2: excellent.
3: Yeah. So, it, uh, we, we, we were, pra- we were driving to Smyrna, Tennessee, which is about, uh, it's between nashville and murfreesboro Mm -hmm. um and uh it was about 45 minutes one way and so for from 2005 to 2014 i drove to smyrna every day for seems like it it, it seemed like an eternity um and so now you know now i'm sort
2: of spoiled by a a hundred yard walk Well, a little less. Uh, I was. You've you brought me a segue there. Um, a little less travel for you, just day to day. You, um, I, I'd put an asterisk next to it because I, uh, I adopted my daughter. You, um, you and your wife adopted three children, and then went from uh, had a biological one as well. Went from no kids to, to four, and it looks like about a span of a year. It's a bit of a, a a bit of a life change there. Yeah,
3: yeah. It was. It was. It was a dramatic life change. My wife and I. Got married in two thousand and nine. Um, ironically, in Las Vegas. It's it's um, I, I consider it to be my my second favorite, or maybe my third favorite town. I like Nashville, I like Oxford, I like Vegas. Um, but uh, we were happy not having kids. She's a she works in the corporate world. Uh, we both had jobs. We both had money. We thought we were you know living large, um, and we kids weren't really in the plans. And then. Um, we had a, uh, a family situation and we had three nephews that, uh, needed a home and we sort of, we didn't even really have a discussion about it, uh, because it, it sort of was like, I mean, I w I don't know if I could live with myself, if I would rather like fly for the, to the weekend to go to New York, just because I want to go to New York and then have the three of them split up. <laughs> and so they got in, put in the state custody. Uh, at North Carolina or in the state of North Carolina, well, about forty-eight hours later, we petitioned to have them moved to Tennessee. So it took six months. So we had to go through foster training, uh, the bureaucracy of Tennessee and North Carolina talking to each other for them to be transferred. They came, uh, actually, like I took the I took the Vanderbilt bowling team to Australia. They came back Father's Day, twenty sixteen, uh, to three boys. Ten, seven, and four, and I mean, it was talk about talk about like your complete change in life. Is that I left to go to Australia, childless and f- like free to do whatever I want. I come back Sunday uh, in in June Father's Day, get, have the three kids, and the next Saturday, I'm signing them up for like youth soccer. So like. You go there. There is no ramp. There is no ramp up. There is no like, you know. You go through the phases of walking and and potty training, all kinds of. Stuff. I went. I mean, I was full bore into into uh, like youth soccer. Like like two weeks into like being a parent, you know. And then that was so we we put the the paperwork in January. In February, Melissa tells me she's pregnant. So Tucker was born in October. So we had three boys we adopted and we got them in June or we fostered them in June. We adopted actually officially adopted in July of 2017. So, um, we've got four boys, uh, two working parents. Likely my parents live close. My sister and her, her crew lives close. She's got three kids that are around the same age. So they've been extremely helpful. Uh, my mother-in-law has been really helpful. Uh, you know, having two, two work, two working parents that travel, it's not, not the easiest, but, uh, you know, we, we try to make it work and hopefully we're
2: giving them uh, a more stable existence than they would have had. We've got two close friends that each adopted multiple kids after they were older and in similar situations. Um, did you have, a, what was the relationship like with them prior to the foster? I Maybe mean, you, did, did, you, did they know you guys? I mean, how how close was that relationship?
3: Uh, the oldest one knew us pretty well. He would come for basketball camps and that kind of stuff. Uh, the seven-year-old knew of us, like we, uh, you know, we would see him once or twice a year, that kind of stuff. He was still too young to really like, sort of come on his own, uh, and so, uh, you know, he wasn't a stranger. But the the four-year-old, like, we, you know, we, I mean, we'd seen he, but he didn't know who I, who he, we didn't really know who we were, um, and so, you know, it was that was. That was, a, uh, I guess, a, just a unique time because the four-year-old sort of doesn't have any experience of his biological parents. The seven-year-old, only his only experience as biological parents is sort of the negative trauma and stuff that, that he experienced. And then the ten-year-old saw the good and the bad. And then, you know, so he sort of saw both ways. And so you're navigating the the waters of of three completely different experiences with with their biological parents. How do you how how do you talk about it how do you um you know because what we don't want is we don't want negative thoughts on their parents right like you can't say negative things you can't you can't you know like people make poor choices all the time and that doesn't make them bad people it just makes them we'll say poor decision makers and so for uh and so for us it's like we're doing the best we can to navigate them from now to 18 and then you know, when they're eighteen, they can figure out sort of what what it, what takes for like what steps they want to take. But like we're trying to arm them with information and knowledge that will allow them to make the best choices when they're eighteen. But you know, they, you know, as it, it, it was, it was interesting because when we had Tucker, the first, the first time I was when I first, it's when I first realized that the ten year old was smart enough that he couldn't call me Uncle John anymore. And so because he thought that would be too confusing to Tucker. Mm-hmm. So then he starts oh. calling me dead. Wow. You know, and so like and so like, I, I mean, to this day, I, I don't re- I, I, we don't really have those discussions because I, I don't really think there'd be an like I don't think it'd be an honest like I don't think he'd be like, oh, I, I, I don't or whatever. But like, I don't really know like what he like what he views me as. Does he view me as his uncle? Does he view me as a parent? Does he view me as, you know, like, you know, am I simply just uh, like someone that annoys him by telling him to do his homework? It's you know, like, yeah. like what, what, what my role is. But like, it, it's just interesting because he, he was thoughtful enough to be like, I can't call him Uncle John because that's going to confuse
2: the,
3: the new one. And so, you know, so he just started calling me dad. And so, um, I mean, and like, it's weird because y- y- you don't, you, the first time he called it to me, like, I sort of was like, what'd you say? You know, like, yeah. and, you know, and, and, and it, it took a little bit of time to realize why he was doing it, but like, it 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 wasn't a coincidence that it happened after Tucker was born.
2: Wow. That's really cool. So um, in, in, in a lot of ways, did you, I mean, I, I, with with there being three and obviously different ages, but would assume I mean it almost probably made them closer to, they're all transitioning into this together in a lot of ways versus, you know, not having that support system that they're so used to at least being siblings, I would assume.
3: Right. You know, I mean, it's interesting because I think in some ways they are, they are, they are very close. I think, I think in other ways, like a lot of their upbringing has, has sort of taught, has sort of taught them the idea that, like, you know. So there's a lot. Of, there's a lot. There's a lot of like, I, I don't know, manipulation at play. So they're always trying to get someone in trouble so they can get something. And so you know, and and those and that thing can always vary. It can vary from like, um, uh, he's in trouble, so I get to play by myself. Or he's in, or he's in trouble, so he doesn't get dessert. I get it all, or you know that kinds of stuff. So it's trying to navigate. Some of that stuff. I mean, there, 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 are certain things that they're thick as thieves on, that they're that they're that you're not separating them from from anything. And then there's other things that, that to me, they're extremely cutthroat. Mm-hmm. And you know, and and uh, and so like, if it, if it's opportunity or if it's food, like, I mean, they'll they'll turn on you on a dime. But uh, you know, but other things, whatever, they're 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 pretty much like like the three musketeers. <laughs> like bowling at all. No, <laughs> uh, <laughs> my, uh, they, uh, they, they'll come to work with me and they'll, and uh, like in the summer and they'll, they'll bowl for maybe 20 minutes. Uh, and then that's about, that's, that's where the novelty runs off. My oldest plays football. He's a junior in high school. He plays football. He wrestles. Um, my, uh, the middle one is into arts and drama and singing and chorus. And then my the 10 year old is he's into, uh, He'll he'll do anything with a ball, so okay, you just name it and he'll do it.
2: You uh you they, you were in town. You were in Oxford recently. How often do you get down? Uh, ironically, like so.
3: My oldest was is interested in in Ole Miss as a school, so we came down and we watched uh it was the game before Kentucky last year. I didn't remember who it was, uh, but that was the first time. Amazingly, I took my wife to Oxford. Oh, and, and, and so I was like, I was always kind of hesitant because, you know, you, you bring your wife to your uh, college town and you're like, I don't know who I'm going to run into and you know, what stories are going to tell. And I, you know, I'm always kind of hesitant on that, but she absolutely loved it. Cool. She, was like, she was like, I think I want to retire here. And I was like, we're f- you know, we're mid forties. Like, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's start talking about this. And so, you know, so we went down and uh, this past weekend, and we watched the LSU game on Friday night, the baseball, and luckily, I guess we went to Morgan Wallen on Saturday. Um, yes. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, she, we 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 shop we shopped on the square. We did all the all the I guess things that tourists do. Um, but it's absolutely amazing how different it was. It is right. like I came back, I guess, in baseball 2004. Um, and I came back one other time without my wife, but like, it's amazing how different Oxford is than when, than when I was like, I, I, like, I felt like I needed to have my GPS on to make sure I could get around and, and, you know, and like, I was like, I kind of think I lived up this street. No, no, that's not, that's not, no, no. And so, um, but it, it, you know, it's interesting, like we, um, we're uh, gonna buy season tickets in football, so okay. we can come a couple of times uh, this fall. I'm, I'm really trying to steer my kids there, and so like, you know, I, I can, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to manipulate them. Okay. I mean, not, I mean more so because I just don't want them going to Tennessee. Like, I, I mean, I just okay. don't, gotcha, I gotcha, don't, gotcha, gotcha. I don't I don't want that to happen. But like, so like, we're really trying with our ten year old with Gabe and Tucker. To get them like into the Olmus like pipeline um Landon there's a chance that he'll that he'll end up there I guess the fall of 24 uh, I'm not sure what Eli's thinking about but but yeah so like we're, we're I guess we're enjoying it or we we, uh, we still have some friends that live in the area down there and, and there's some people that that we went to school with that come back frequently so you know it'll be a um
2: a sort of nice a sort of reconnecting Absolutely not. Makes tons of sense. What uh, what's the next month or so? Is it is there a recruiting window that you're doing? What's uh, what's going on? You Nothing. get all the time off? Nothing. I uh, when they when
3: they the, they're gonna recognize us at the baseball game on Saturday for winning the national title. Um, the kids are basically are gone on Sunday, and then uh, and then I'm gonna try to like recoup some of the hours I've lost uh this spring, um and sort of enjoy the 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 last little bit of. Of summer and then June hits and then uh we start doing some 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 recruiting stuff.
2: Excellent. Well cool. uh, congratulations on uh the recent success, the three titles. Really appreciate the time and uh let's talk again. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
1: Again, our thanks to uh, John Williamson, the Vanderbilt bowling coach, for his time today on Handraise Guys. This will be up in podcast form as the Friday Oxford Exxon Podcast. Speaking of, we'll be back with you on Monday. With a, uh, at least for me, a short week of podcast, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Then I'll be um, off for the rest of uh, next week. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of the Oxford Exxon podcast. Have a great weekend. Stay safe, and we will talk to you on Monday.